You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. Well, good morning. Hello, everyone. How are you? How how are you today? I never know how to start these. I, I, I gotta tell you, I made a huge mistake <laughs> not having a co-host. It's really, really hard to, do, to just talk by yourself. But you know, I, I, I'm doing it. The good news is I do have um, I do have some episodes coming up in the pike with guests, one being my mother. My mother will be joining for an episode next Monday. So if you have any questions for her, for us, feel free, DM me, email me. My email address for this podcast is sobrietypodcast at gmail.com. So, you know, help, help, help me out. Let me know what, what, what questions you have. I'm really excited for that. My mom is obviously a fantastic person who I adore. And she, I, I'm, I'm excited because we're going to have a conversation about wine, about the wine industry, about when I lived at home and things she noticed. And, um, you know, my family still one of their favorite things to do is to go to a winery and sort of us navigating that. And I'm just really excited. Ugh, well, today, what we are going to talk about is the idea or the myth, I should say, that to be creative, you know, you need to be a little tipsy, you need to be a little drunk, that people are more creative when they are drinking. And that if you are a sober artist, you are not going to make uh, your, your work's not going to be as good. First off, that's a myth. Let's let's start right there. That's a complete myth. But I really leaned into this idea, you know, that you're a better creative when you're a little fucked up. Uh, when I was working for a digital media company, writing and producing daily content, I really thought, truly, truly thought that when I was buzzed, I wrote better, more interesting content. You know, and in some ways, I did get validation for that because there are some things that I wrote drunk that went viral and really took off. So, I mean, first of all, does that mean they were quality? No, not necessarily. Just because something's viral does not mean it was good. But because I was manufacturing vulnerability online and had really you know, for better or for worse, branded myself as the girl who wrote about depression and anxiety and death and being broken up with and loving someone who doesn't love you back. I really convinced myself that I was more prolific when I was a little bit drunk. Have I created things drunk that were good? Sure. Have I also written complete gibberish that I couldn't even translate in the morning? Also, yes. The magic sauce was not the magic sauce, you know? I, I didn't need wine to tap into my own creativity. That shit is already there. It's already within me. And through my sobriety journey, I have remembered that. In my first 90 days alcohol-free, there was so much heaviness that was just lifted, and I was able to create from a place of joy and just feeling so much lighter, which was different, you know? I had convinced myself that being fucked up and sad is where my creativity came from. But when I stopped drinking, first of all, I wasn't hung over all the time, and I actually had the energy and desire to make things, so I started doodling. I started painting. I started writing song lyrics again, things that I was doing when I was 16, 17, and, and not drinking at the time, because, you know, I didn't drink until I turned 21. So I was doing all of these kind of fun, creative projects that I had done in childhood, writing, you know, fictional stories. That's, that's something I haven't done in, in, in truly years, you know? 
it doesn't even matter if everything I did was good. It felt good to do, and I wasn't hurting myself in the process. It was just fun to create things. And I think also I was trying to keep myself busy, especially, again, those first 30 days, those first 90 days. I was just trying to fill my days with stuff, keep my mind busy, keep myself distracted. And those distractions ended up being really fun, creative activities. I used to love to go to wine bars with my laptop to write because it felt like, oh, the ambiance inspired my work, you know, ooh, so metropolitan, so sex in the city of me, just a writer and her glass of wine and her thoughts. And at the time, my full-time job was totally remote and writing articles and listicles and sad girl essays on the internet so I could technically go and work wherever. Some people go to coffee shops to work and I was like, oh, same thing, I just get to drink wine and buy that second glass, I'm gonna have so many more ideas. And when you're drunk, you're like, these are genius, these are fire ideas. And then you read back the notes you took and it's like, what if dogs could fly? And that's all that's been written on the page. Or sometimes I would go old school and just bring a notebook, not even my laptop, because, which by the way, I had spilled wine and ruined two laptops, two laptops that I had to send. And it was expensive to get them fixed because they were, you know, water damage or liquid damage. So I started thinking, okay, let's be safer and I'll just spill on the moleskin. It's not going to cost me as much. And I would have the most chaotic poems and notes. And you can see in my handwriting which glass of wine I was on because it started out legible and eventually looked like a completely different language, like hieroglyphics or something. I think it's important also to make note of sort of the connection we have seen throughout time and in pop culture with great artists and people who we look at as as greats, great writers, great painters, and this sort of connection with substance abuse a lot of times. There's a famous quote that's actually commonly thought of as something that Hemingway said, which is, write drunk, edit sober. Well, according to a Forbes article, he did not say that. Uh, supposedly, he did his writing in the morning and his drinking in the afternoon. Therefore, he wrote sober. Even if this was his quote, let's also not forget that the man shot himself. I'm, I'm wary of the way we idolize certain artists, including their own self-destruction. And I think it's one thing to see yourself in another person's struggles and to feel validated and understood and like you're not just some freak alone in the world. That's the power of art. Having some of your fucked up, deep, dark, sad thoughts reflected back to you. But we can admire and appreciate work without glamorizing the illnesses that are deeply painful and behaviors that ultimately can kill people. You know, I spent my early 20s, really, really leaning into being fucked up. Even though at the core, do I have some fucked up thoughts? Yes, sure. Literally, we all do. Being a human being means you're gonna have some fucked up thoughts. Uh, have I experienced loss and trauma and things that will stay with me forever? Also, yes. But I'm not unique in this. I'm not unique in any of my struggles. And sometimes, sometimes it feels more artistic or deep to be the saddest one in the room. To be like, no one understands me and to not even want to be understood. Sometimes I I purposefully, whether 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 I even knew it or not, maybe it was, you know, subconsciously, I would make decisions that I knew would bring me more pain and were destructive because being miserable was sometimes easier or safer. When I was at my lowest point with drinking, I didn't even want to look at myself in the mirror. I was a shell of who I was, but that's still 
became safer, to just keep doing that, to keep feeling fucked up and resigning myself to a life where that's all I was capable of. Even though somewhere down deep, deep down in a well under all that alcohol and depression and toxic patterns, I knew I was capable of a lot. It was just scary to start again, to start over. Being sober has actually brought back a lot of silliness into my life, which is funny because sober, you know, it's such a serious word. It feels stern. It doesn't feel very fun. But I'm so much more the goofball I was as a child now that I can really be who I am at the core, at my center, without anything watering it down or changing it or distorting it. I now look at creating an artistic expression as something enjoyable. It's not a chore and it's not a competition to be the most fucked up. It's not something I need to beat out of myself. And a lot of the self-importance and the seriousness of it has gone away, which is also very liberating for me. I just want to make things and I want to try things. Sometimes they will be sad and I will go to dark places because those dark places have always existed. But I'll also try shit just because. And I won't be good at everything and not everything has to be heavy to be art. Expression is art. Maybe that's making somebody laugh or someone feel connected to you or someone remember a memory they have that's similar. All of these things fall under the umbrella of art. It's making someone think, and that can be literally anything. Sobriety and creativity can, and they do go hand in hand. You know, I tend to get inspiration or ideas when I go for a walk, and there was actually a Stanford University study in which researchers found that walking boosts creative output by 60%. When I was drinking, I was always a little hungover, so going for a walk was not necessarily enjoyable. You know, I was like sweating, I was having heart palpitations, I was nauseous, just trying to get home, just focus on getting home. And now I just go for a walk and I enjoy it and it's fun and actually let ideas come to me and think about the world. And see, that's a seemingly small thing, taking a walk. But it's linked to creativity, and I'm 100% more successful at it as a sober person. If you're out there and you consider yourself a creative person or you enjoy creative pursuits and, you know, you're questioning drinking and if you're going to be as interesting, if you're going to be able to make things that are as interesting, I guarantee you, you can and you will, and you're going to tap into new sides of yourself. And sobriety also gives you the gift of looking back and... Uh, having perspective and being able to explore why you did things and for all the ways we've convinced ourselves we need certain drugs to expand our minds I actually think getting sober does that and it's it's quite a gift well on that note it's time for it's something that made me happy this week it's my pink cloud of So today, um, as I'm recording this, it is my little sister's birthday. You know, I just started really reflecting on how kind of how amazing it is that I'm 29 and I have been able to experience two totally different family dynamics and have such a love for both of them. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much I've gone into it or if I've said anything about it. But, um, you know, my dad died when I was 16. Uh, It was just me, my mom, my dad, and then my mom didn't date or anything until I went away to college, and then she met my now stepdad, and we are this blended family. I am the oldest. Um, I have two stepbrothers and a stepsister, but I really just refer to them as my siblings, and I just thought it's just so cool how relationships can evolve and, like, 
there's no limit in your heart. You know, I used to I used to feel like maybe I would be betraying my dad if I really opened myself up to love this new family that we've created. There is no competition. There is no you can only have enough room in your heart for one parental figure. It's like I love and miss my dad and I will forever, but I also really love and value my stepdad. And I'm so grateful that I have him in my life and that I have these siblings. You know, I was an only child until I was 22. And now I get to have two brothers and a sister. I don't know. I just was feeling really grateful for it and just how cool it is that we can love so many people. The room in our hearts is infinite, you know? It really is. It really is. And these relationships can all exist in their own little corners of our hearts. And I'm getting a little bit choked up, but feeling very grateful for for the families I've had and I have. I don't want to cry on the podcast. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's my that's my sappy, very very genuine sentimental pink cloud, and um, and I'm excited because I get to see my family next week, which is when we will be recording with my mom, my first guest. How fitting that it's my mom. Like I said, if you have any questions for her, things you want to know about our relationship, feel free. Send an email. Send a DM. You can also follow. Um, I have an Instagram for the podcast specifically at Sobriety Pod. Give that a follow. I really don't know how to end these, but I hope you all have a fantastic week. Oh, and I have to say this, I'm legally required. If you liked it, um, don't forget to uh, review and rate on Apple Podcasts. It actually really helps. I don't know. People say it helps. I don't know what it helps. I think it helps like show that you're legit. I think. I don't actually know. I'm still a baby podcaster, everyone, but I really appreciate you for listening, for the support. I'm so excited to have my mom to talk with all of you next week. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.